Hello and welcome to episode one of uh, my Scene 2 podcast. Um, I will get into what this episode's about very shortly, but for now, just going to quickly touch on what I intend this series to be. If you have just come across this podcast on one of the podcasting platforms that I'm hoping to get this out onto, um, this is my sales pitch as to why you should subscribe or listen to further episodes of it. So, I called it Crime Shed for no other reason than the fact that I thought it sounded a bit different. Um, the shed element to it is kind of meant to be that I'm not an audio engineer, I'm not an audio producer, I'm not a radio host, I'm not any, anything like that. I'm a normal guy, I work in public services. Um, I have an interest in crime and mystery, law and order, you know, crime and justice. Um, and I want to share what I have learned in regards to a podcast with people who have a similar interest. Um, I do tend to spend a lot of time, I lose a lot of time, shall I say, in um, things like, uh, you get like on uh, Reddit, if you're familiar with it, you get sometimes threads pop up on there, like, what are the world's greatest mysteries that haven't been solved? And you get like a little segment in there. Um, quite often I will then end up going and um, reading up more on that, and I've read about all sorts of people, Harold Shipman, um, I did a lot of reading obviously for the Christchurch shootings here and into um, the some of the crime groups that um, actually exist in New Zealand just by extension. Um, the mongrel mob, um, the Black Power um, gang as they call themselves. Um, I've read about the Crips, I've read about you know um, drug trade in South America which is also very interesting in itself just in how that sort of occurs. Um, the drug trade in general is a massive interest of mine. Um, I sort of digress a little bit there. Um, I have sort of come up with this, this podcast as an idea of if I'm doing that reading anyway, and generally when you then get into a conversation with somebody about that and you have that knowledge, people want to know about it. Um, the idea with this podcast is that I can tell you about that, um, but it makes it nice and easy for you. So let's say you're traveling to work you're traveling away from work which is always the better one um or you know you're at the gym or you know you're cooking or something like that and you want a decent podcast which makes you go huh that was interesting at the end of it i hope this podcast will become the one that is that um i hope it to sit in a similar sort of frame as some of the um the the great shall we say in in this sort of world um if you go onto YouTube, there's um, series um, and channels like uh, Wendover Productions uh, with his his extension channel, Path uh, is Interesting. Um, those are something that I watch quite a lot. Um, there was another one that I've watched recently, um, EU Politic, I think it is. They're very similar as well, um, but they're more sort of like knowledge orientated. They're not just, they don't have like the, the crime focus. Um, and if I'm honest, that's my interest. And I thought, actually, it doesn't seem like there's anything massive there. Now, if you start telling people about unsolved mysteries, people really like that. And I like the idea that actually this could be the podcast to serve it up to you. So that's my little sales pitch. If that doesn't sound like it's going to be a bit of you, um, please give me a chance and just listen to the rest of this episode. I'm not trying to make it massively long. I'm, I'm looking to hit around a 30 minute mark, but for the research for this episode, I've got five pages of A4 with text on. Um, so it might go for a little bit longer than 30 minutes, but I'm looking to hit the 30 
to 45 minute mark the idea being that they're not massively long but they're they're long enough that you can you know if you're commuting to work you can play in your car um or on your phone on the train or whatever and you know you maybe do it in two sittings or if you have a desk-based job where your colleagues are boring you can put your your earphones in you can listen to it while you're working in the morning so it's designed to have enough content that it keeps you occupied for a little bit but um yeah hopefully this will become many many episodes of many many mysteries um and i want to hear from you as well i try to fact fact check this as much as possible it's not always it's not always possible um i am going to make mistakes at some point um I'm going to try and be as unbiased as possible in some regards, but obviously with some of the topics I'm going to cover, especially like this one today with the Christchurch shootings, um, I've made the clear decision today um, not to mention the suspect's name. Um, I will refer to him as the terrorist or the gunman the whole time. Just my use of that language of terrorist itself is going to be abrasive for some people um i know some media outlets in, re- in reporting this didn't choose to use the word terrorist that you cho- choose to use the word gunman or um shooter and stuff like that i don't know why he's a terrorist um that's my opinion and while i try to be as unbiased as possible my opinion is going to come through in some regards um i apologize if that offends anybody that's not my intention um but i am touching on some interesting points um but i'm trying to i'm not trying to provide a certain view on on anything i'm just going look here's a load of information i've put it into audio form there you go i fact checked it as much as possible but like i say with the main information sort of points on the internet being newspaper outlets um, and their associated sort of online um um websites and reading facilities shall we call them um and then it's being wikipedia there's going to be a limitation of fact checking you can do my main way of fact checking where where i thought something seemed a bit questionable um is that i would then go and find a second source for it but again without having any sort of clear sort of line on stuff sometimes you're going to find that the original writer of that initial thing that i've taken the information from they may express their opinion or their view on it and it sort of skews a little bit. So I apologise if that happens. If you do notice in any of my podcasts that there is a bit of a, um, you know, there's a there's some, some, some issues with it, then let me know um, and I will look to correct that um, as in issue a correction of it, like, you know, the old Daily Mail where they put a little, a little tiny, little tiny bit in the newspaper on the next episode. Um, I'll probably have to run like a little corrections bit at the end of my episodes because I think um, we'll find a little, quite a lot of it of that but if we want to get on um today we're going to be looking at the christchurch shootings um and we will get into that now so this episode is going to look at the recent terror attack in christchurch in new zealand um Many people would have obviously seen the news articles in this. This episode is designed to sort of give you a full synopsis of it, um, sort of almost considering that you've only just read the headlines, more or less. So you're aware of it happening, but you don't really know what happened um, effectively. If I start going, oh, people will understand that, or oh, people already know that, then you're going to get some people come along and you're like, actually, I didn't, I didn't read that, especially if you start going down the route of people who 
maybe don't read the news quite as often. Um, so it's a bit of a, in some regards, a bit of an idiot's guide too, um, and, and what occurred. But um, yeah, it's going to f- focus on the terror attacks in Christchurch, where 50 people were killed and in excess of 50 more people were injured. Those 50 people receiving either secondary injuries, either directly from the shooting or from the escape um, from the attack. Um, and we'll go on to look at what happened, um, who was behind the attack, what might have led to the attack and how he was brought to a stop in justice. There are a few little caveats to that. One, when I say about who was behind the attack, I'm not going to be saying his name. I don't know his name. Um, well, I do know his name, but I'm not going to say his name Um his name is gone out in in some of the media appears to be a stage name which gives me even more reason not to want to broadcast that or sort of make any reference to it because there's obviously a very distinct reason why he's chosen to have a stage name so to speak um i will refer to him as the gunman or the terrorist i apologize if that's a little bit abrasive to, to some people but in my opinion he is a terrorist i'll try and keep opinion out of it as much as possible but Unfortunately, I think I'm probably going to be in a uh, in a winning camp there as to um, whether he's a terrorist or not. Um, as far as we go for the bringing him to justice side of things, um, this is quite a fresh incident. Um, it occurred on the 15th of March. Legal proceedings are still ongoing at the moment. We're kind of actually, even in the time that it takes for this episode to be published and you you listening to it, stuff might have changed. Um, we're in between court dates at the moment. Um, but when I say that, I mean, on the day, how how is it stopped? It will touch a bit on what sentence he could be facing um, if truly convicted. What I'm going to do to begin, um, just so that we're all on the same page, is I'm going to give you a timeline of events running through exactly what occurred on the 15th of March. So um, just previous to 1340 hours, a Facebook live stream has started which shows the soon-to-be gunman driving towards the Alnor Mosque in Rickerton, a suburb of Christchurch. During the drive, military marching songs and song popularised by Serbian nationalists was played. At 13.40 hours, uh, the gunman is greeted by a worshipper at the Alnor Mosque, who states, Hello, brother. The gunman starts to shoot at worshippers in the, in the mosque, and it is thought that 300 to 500 people were in the mosque as they were attending Friday prayers. The shooting was broadcast by Facebook live stream. Reports suggested that the gunman continued to play military-style songs from a portable speaker whilst in the mosque. At 13.41, the first emergency call was received by the police. Between 13.40 to 13.57 approximately, um, the gunman continues to move through and shoot at worshippers within the Al-Nur mosque indiscriminately. Um, a worshipper named, uh, I apologise if I pronounced his name wrong, Naeem Rashid um, attempts to charge the gunman but is killed in the process. The gunman approaches wounded people and fires upon them in order to effectively execute them. Um, the gunman then leaves the mosque at one point, shoots at people outside the building um, before selecting another weapon from his vehicle. He returns into the mosque where he continues to shoot at people um, within it. Many of the people um, that he decided to shoot on the second time round were actually already wounded, lying on the floor and largely unable to escape the building. Um, again, approximate times, at about 13.55, um, the gunman leaves the mosque. Um, as he leaves, he shoots and kills a woman who was actually on the footpath outside and was pleading with him for help. The gunman leaves the area in his vehicle at high speed whilst playing Fire by the crazy world of Arthur Brown. 
Now, one of the things I found interesting in that, because I knew the, the name of it, but couldn't, couldn't sort of hear it in my head. Um, I looked it up on YouTube, and interestingly, the majority of the comment sections for those songs have all been turned off. Um, the one that I found was an active comment section. People were saying, oh, all the comment sections are being turned off on the other, on the other um, videos, and then lots of quite abrasive um dark humour about the Christchurch shootings. Um, to move on, at 13.55, um, and again, times are not accurate due to a confusion in reporting, um, as some reports are beginning to sort of suggest at 13.55, but we sort of know that a second attack started at the Linwood Islamic Centre. Um, that's three miles east of the Al Noor Mosque, um, and we know that the attack at the Al Noor Mosque lasted about six minutes, um, and that the stream was pulled offline by Facebook, um, that lasts about 17 minutes and that showed the gunman to leave the Alnor Mosque and drive towards Linwood, but cuts out when he was approximately a kilometre away from the Linwood Islamic Centre. As I say, the timings aren't great because of the fact that nobody's noted these down. Um, but we can sort of, knowing that, we can sort of work out it kind of the timings. We know that the shooting at the initial mosque was about six minutes. Um and then at about 13.55, the Linwood Islamic Centre is attacked. The gunman shoots at people outside the centre and at the windows. Um, the shooting at the windows actually alerted the people inside, including a Mr. Abdul Azid Wahabzada. Again, I, I apologise if I pronounce these names wrong. Um, he's actually been praised since with slowing and attempting to prevent the attack um, and actually forcing it to a close at the Linwood Centre. Um, when he heard the shooting, bear in mind he was inside the mosque and the shooter was outside. He heard the shooting, um, realised something was wrong, grabbed a portable card reader um, from within the centre. I'm assuming it was the one thing he could find with a bit of weight to it. Um, and he ran outside the centre, um, confronted the, the gunman and actually threw the card reader at him. Um, in a bid to stop the shooter from getting a gun, another gun from his car. Um, the gunman actually then continued into there, uh, into the centre, but he was delayed in his in his attempt, I imagine, because he was just struck across the face with a um, with a card reader. Um, as he began to enter the centre, um, Wahab Zada um, was actually shot at, and he managed to take cover behind some nearby cars. Again, and this just shows the measure of what sort of man this guy obviously is, he took cover by the cars because he was under direct fire, realising the gunman was heading towards the centre, where Habzada then continued to distract the gunman, full well knowing he has a live firearm, by standing up and then wait, effectively waving his arms and, and shouting, I'm over here, um, to try and draw the attention of the gunman. Unfortunately, it wasn't successful, and if it did draw his attention, it didn't draw it for long enough. Um, the gunman still entered the centre and shot at people within the centre. But bear in mind, by that point, people inside would have been alerted, people would have been able to escape. Um, and there's a lot a lot less details than the Linwood centre shooting. I don't know what the specific sort of death toll is from that centre, but reading all the reports, it certainly appears the Almanor Mosque was the worst out of the two of them. And who knows if it was actually because this guy managed to managed to delay him for long enough that people were able to get out. Um, so the shooters that ended up going inside the um, 
the centre. Um, whilst it, he's inside, Wahabzada um, notices and retrieves an empty shotgun that the gunman had actually dropped. Um, Wahabzada has then gone and confronted the gunman with this empty shotgun. And the terrorist, seeing Wahabzada allegedly armed, um, has actually dropped his own weapon and run off to his car. Um, Wahabzad has followed him and actually thrown the gun, as he put it, like an arrow um, at the gunman's car, causing the window to smash. Um, and then the gunman has then left the area. And I believe one of the photos that ended up on sort of national media, uh, which was of the suspect's car sort of atop a police vehicle after it had been rammed. If you look, um, one of the rear windows, I think, is is smashed, which could well have been Wahabzada's um, attempts equally could have been the whole ordeal of having a police car driving the side of it. They tend to do that as well. Um, but then 21 minutes after the attack started, that's the that's the initial attack um, at the um, Al-Nur Mosque. Um, the gunman is stopped and arrested by police to the south of both of the shooting sites. Um, and it's believed and has actually now since been corroborated by police that the gunman was actually on his way to a third location. Um, bearing in mind this vehicle was rammed by a standard patrol officer effectively um, and it was taken in by gunpoint when they then further inspected the vehicle um, they found that there were two IEDs attached to the gunman's vehicle um, and these were diffused by the NZDF which is their effectively New Zealand's army I don't think they have a proper army set up um, but yeah they were, that was that was diffused at the time. So what the intentions for having the IEDs on the vehicle, I don't know. But that's the sort of the rough timeline of events that occurred on that day. Um, and we can now move on to sort of start looking at breaking things down. So we'll now move on to the suspect, the terrorist, the gunman. As I stated, I will not state the gunman's name or even his alleged name, um, as this won't do anything other than give him credit. Um, I'm only going to refer to him as the shooter, gunman, terrorist. Um, I'm not going to use his real name. So to uh, start with the double whammy, the terrorist gunman um, is known to be a 28-year-old white believed Christian Australian man. Uh, he was living in another city in New Zealand called Dunedin. Um, again, I'm sorry, I apologise if I pronounced that wrong, but Dunedin in um, in New Zealand. Um, I looked at this up um, on Google Maps. Um, he is approximately five hours away by um, by car from Christchurch. Um, it's stated that he worked as a personal trainer in his in his hometown. Um, this is back in Australia. Um, and then he started to travel um, mainly around Asia and such, um, but some of Europe uh, in around 2012. Following the attacks in Christchurch, some in international police services are actually now investigating the gunman's visits to their own countries um, to try and understand what his purpose for the visit was. Um, from early reports in the investigation, it has become clear that the suspect became obsessed with attacks perpetrated by Islamic extremists in recent years. This is accentuated by the fact that the terrorists have written the, the victim's 
names of these previous attacks on the guns he used to inflict the attacks in Christchurch. Um, and these were written in like sort of white paint, almost like tipex um, on the body and magazines of the various weapons that he used. Um, the financial records have also been pulled as part of the investigation. Um, and financial records and analysis of those have since showed that the government may have actually had more obvious links to far-right groups um, in the years leading up to the attacks. Um, he made a handful of suspect donations, uh, one uh, being made to the Austrian um, and another being made to the French branches of the Identitarian movement. What that movement is, is one that has many links with being an anti-Ismalist and an anti-immigration sort of movement. Um, which I found odd in itself anyway, um, because he's a lot of the identitarian movements are sort of nationalist movements. Um, they're against any sort of immigration or diluting of their national identity in any in any regard. So if you're not Austrian or if you're not French, then you're not welcome um, as sort of run by by their rules. Um, and you may have also made the same sort of link as I have in that um, obviously our suspect was a immigrant to some degrees in New Zealand but um, I'm sure the irony was completely lost on him um, as an aside um, and this is just going on to the identitarian movement a little bit um, just to get an understanding of who they are as well and what his ideology may well have been um, in 2017 one identitarian branch or outfit crowdfunded approximately $178,000. That also shows the sort of support that some of these um, these outfits can garner, the fact that they're able to scrape together $178,000 in a few weeks. Um, but they got that money together in order to charter a boat destined for the Mediterranean. Um, the aim of it was to ferry rescued migrants back to Africa. Um, obviously, this was at the point when they were having a lot of migrant boats washing up um, and just migrants actually who fall out of boat being washed up, um, which are being rescued by non-governmental organisations. Their aim was to basically then provide a service of putting those migrants back on a ferry and putting them back across the Mediterranean back to where they, they came from, apparently. Um, they also intended to observe any incursions into Libyan waters by NGO ships with the intention of reporting these to these breaches to the Libyan Coast Guard, who I'm sure would be absolutely enthralled given the fact that they were not dealing with their own things at the time, i.e. civil war. Um, but in actuality, um, and in a great twist of fate, the, um, the boat actually suffered engine failure. Um, and again, a great twist of fate, um, had to be rescued by one of the, the ships from the very NGOs that they actually set out to disrupt. So not only um, was their mission a complete failure, but the people that they actually targeted and were trying to say were, were doing wrong actually rescued them from turmoil. Um, going back to our actual topic for this, though, um, the suspect in hand, um, we move on to his sort of travelling habits. Um, the suspect continued to visit areas of interest um, around the world, like I say, mainly in Asia and sort of Central and East Europe. Um, he became captivated with battle sites of the Ottoman Empire and the Christians. 
um, which is particularly pertinent as the Ottoman Empire obviously had very strong links with Ismailism, Ismailism, Ismailists, um, but Islam, um, and would actually place restrictions of their own uh, on Christian and Jewish residents of their empire. So obviously the Ottoman Empire quickly um, expanded and as they would expand into these areas if people were found to be practicing Christian and Jewish faiths they weren't prevented from doing that but they were prevented in other ways they were allowed to ride on horseback they weren't allowed to hold weapons um, their, the treatment for somebody who was a Christian or a Jew within the Ottoman Empire wasn't wasn't massively pleasant um, and actually as a result a lot of Christians and Jews within that time period actually converted to Islam instead um, to be able to reap the, the full benefits um, off the back of the Ottoman Empire you obviously then got the Crusades and stuff like that which he also had a passing interest in um, but the sort of the key theme the key interest the key interest that he had in regards to all these conflicts was that it was generally Islam versus primarily white Christians. Um, there is also evidence to suggest that the gunman went on a series of visits to the Balkans, the Balkans um, between 2016 to 2018. Um, and it said that the gunman actually posted a lot of material on his own social media platforms in support of the Balkan uh, nationalist movements. Um, and then went on to state that the USA should have been should actually get weakened um, to prevent things like NATO intervention to the Kosovo um, incidents, which were actually launched in response to Serbian forces ethnically cleansing Muslim Kosovans. Again, the key thing being that he didn't feel it was right they were being prevented from ethnically cleansing um, Muslim Kosovans. Um, he said that he was against NATO because he saw the Serbian military as Christian Europeans attempting to remove these Islamic occupiers from Europe. Um, make of that what, what you want to, but um, we'll move on with the rest of what the suspect is. Um, the suspect also held an, a New Zealand firearms licence. Um, it had an A endorsement on it. Um, I did a little bit of research around this, but effectively a New Zealand firearms licence has a couple of different categories. An A endorsement is your basic level. Um, it allows you to own weapons for like sports shooting and stuff, but does not permit the ownership of military-style semi-auto weapons or um, pistols. You have to get a separate endorsement for a pistol. Um, I assume because of the concealability of a pistol. Um Shortly after getting his firearms licence, the terrorist started to amass his arsenal uh, in 2017. Um, he would actually order his weapons legally, um, but online, um, and the city gun store that he actually ordered from. Um, but funnily enough, in a lot of the newspaper articles aren't, um, aren't quoted or named, um, and I won't name them either because it's not their fault, um, stated that they did not detect anything suspect about the would-be gunman. And none of the weapons sold were military-style weapons. Um, there was also nothing to say at this point as well. Actually, the weapons that he bought legally from the city gun store were actually the ones used in the attack. Um, and there were some reports that he had a military-style semi-auto weapon as well. So, again, it, it was an attack like this. There's a little bit of confusion around it. Um, it will all come out in the wash, I'm sure, eventually. But... Um, 
one of the things that was noted um, was that the gunman illegally replaced the magazines on the semi-automatic weapons that he bought with legally bought 30 round magazines instead which struck me as slightly odd because obviously it's illegal for him to put the 30 ma- the 30 round mag into his semi-automatic weapon but there's nothing stopping him buying the magazine in the first place but then I'm sure that's because there's a strange oddity in sort of gun controls within New Zealand um, is often the way with law like this especially on topics such as gun control but um it has also since been established that the suspect was the author of a 73-page manifesto, which he titled The Great Replacement, um, which is clearly a reference to far-right ideology, whereby it is believed there is a conspiracy to progressively replace the white Christian population in Europe with non-European, primarily non-white people, spe- specifically um, Arabic and African people. Again, this is an oddity because the gunman is not European, he's Australian. Um, And in the manifesto, the gunman calls for all non-European immigrants in Europe who are are claimed to be invading his land. And that's what the gunman said. He said they were invading his land to be removed. Throughout the manifesto, neo-Nazi symbols such as the Black Sun and Odin's Cross are displayed, but the author denies being a Nazi instead Uh, describing himself as an ethno-nationalist, eco-fascist kebab mover, uh, kebab remover rather. Um, Again, the latter is being a reference to an internet meme about the genocide of Bosnian Muslims. Um, There was a music video done by, um, I think, Bosnian forces, um, which then spawned this this meme about kebab removers. Um, It then got adopted as a far-right type thing um and yeah it's a bit of a dark corner of the internet um but he also within that manifesto cites Anders Breivik as an inspiration um and then oddly went on to um say that he sees Donald Trump as a symbol of renewed white identity but not as a leader or a policymaker and I'm sure that President Thump uh, Trump, uh, P- President Trump will be thrilled with that accolade. Um, the manifesto has since been declared objectionable by the Chief Censor of New Zealand. This makes it now illegal to possess or distribute, and I imagine other law agencies worldwide would probably also ask a few questions if they found you with it. The manifesto was deemed to be trolling and shitposting in some regards, um, meaning that it deliberately intended to stir up controversy and conflict in how it was presented during the attacks there was this was further accentuated the sort of the want to de- sort of stir up as much conflict as possible um as as he began his shooting he made a reference to the youtube personality pewdiepie this appeared to be seemingly without reason um and probably a link to an- again another recent internet meme um in pewdiepie's subscriber battle with another t- um YouTube series called T-Series whereby people are saying subscribe to PewDiePie Um, there's a couple of different channels that sort of did some some spin-off stuff on it as well Um, and that appeared to be what that was however there could be a slightly deeper meaning in this um, because PewDiePie has come under fire for as the media outlet Vox put it during one of their pieces um, flirting with alt-right culture including endorsing another YouTuber, um, E semicolon R, 
um, ER, um, whose channel featured unedited speeches from Adolf Hitler. I did go and have a look at this guy's channel because I saw that quoted somewhere and I was like, I've not heard of this guy. Um, if I'm honest, his channel, it doesn't come across as a, as a far right sort of like hub. Um, it's all a little bit like internet culture-y, shitposty type, type stuff. Um, there is some questionable stuff in there for sure. Um, but this content is generally mixed in with sort of like internet culture style videos um, with healthy doses of memes and opinions. Almost immediately after the attacks, PewDiePie tweeted uh, condemning the attacks and stated that he was sickened to have his name uttered by the gunman. So now that we have an idea of the suspect, in some regard anyway, like I say, <laughs> I tried to keep that a little bit slim because as I was beginning to unearth more stuff, I realised I could be here all day talking about him. Now we have that idea, we can move on to the emergency response of the day. Um, I am aware that we have crested the 30 minute mark quite quite considerably and we've still got quite a lot to get through. Um, but as I say, with an, with an incident like this, I think it can be sort of forgiven um in terms of emergency response the first call to police was said to be placed at 1342 hours um amid the confusion with multiple attack sites initially people thought that it was um two simultaneously attacks with two offenders um but then it was then clarified to be separated attacks um and they've been perpetrated by a single mobile offender it was initially thought that the arrest of the offender took 36 minutes, and that's what media initially um, reported, but then later clarified to be just 21. Even that 21-minute um, figure did attract criticism from media outlets and some other sort of opposition politicians, um, stating that the police response was too slow. But the district commander, who is a superintendent, uh, John Price, stated that it was actually an incredibly fast response, given the fact that you have a mobile offender in a dense metropolitan area. You also got to understand that they had the full I, they had the full um, confusion element as well, in that this doesn't happen in New Zealand normally, um, and they had no idea really what they were looking for. So for police officers to be able to gather stuff, um, gather the information and to locate and take him down in 21 minutes is in my eyes a very, very, very impressive um, response. However, to understand any reasonings behind the response to the New Zealand police, and that depends whatever way you look at it, um, you need to understand first how the police are set up within New Zealand. There have been questions raised about armaments, there have been questions raised about the types of officers that stopped him. Um, and like I say, you have to think about how the police are set up in the area. They are not set up like in the US where there's police officers almost everywhere and almost everything's got a police force of, of some description. They are more akin to the British police service in their setup. And actually they use the exact same um, sort of style and design of, um, of stab vest as the, as the British police service, just in a slightly different color. Um, in New Zealand, police do not routinely carry firearms. What's that? What that means is that on their equipment belts, they will not book out a firearm at the start of duty and carry it all the time. Um, in 2017 to 2018, New Zealand police trained nearly 1,900 uh, more people to the level of level one responders 
who which, according to their annual report, have access to a full suite of tactical options, including firearms and taser. Following this enhanced training programme, they then brought the number of level one responders up to a figure of 7,200 personnel. But this is for the entire country of, of um, New Zealand. According to their stats, in urban areas, the average response time for emergencies is 7 minutes and 42 seconds. For reference, London's Metropolitan Police uh, post an average response time to emergencies of 12 minutes. So they're actually doing better on that, on that front. Um, although that stat from the Met does flutter about a bit, dependent on borough, I think, Havering borough in the Met. Um, if you're a victim of crime in Havering, you can have police officers within a couple of minutes. But um, we digress. New Zealand police then have 9,276 sworn personnel. That's across all the ranks, um, and that's for the whole country with a population of 4.794 million. Again, in rough comparison, the UK has approximately 126,000 um, police officers for a population of 66.04 million. The ratio of cops to citizens, therefore, works out for approximately 0.0019 police officers to citizens um, in both of the nations. Both nations do not routinely arm their officers, and both nations have a mix of rural and urban areas. However, the rural areas in New Zealand are decidedly uh, more rural, and obviously New Zealand is a much larger country. The routine officers um, do have fairly ready access to firearms, however, which is the difference between the UK and New Zealand. Um, as each police car is supposed to sport a lockbox with a Glock handgun in it. Um, and they will have at least one Bushmaster rifle uh, locked in the rear. The handgun is apparently in a lockbox in the footwell of the car, allowing for quick deployment. Um, the rifle setup would require them to have to get out of the vehicle, walk around the back of the car, and then take the, the rifle. Um, there is also um, ballistic vests in there, which can be worn over their, their stab vests. Um, but again, they'd have to walk around the car to get to them. Um, I say they're supposed to because there has been criticism from the New Zealand Police Association to say that not enough frontline cops were trained in the um, use of firearms and that a lot of the vehicles that were meant to have a pistol in the lockbox actually did not have it in there um, or it wasn't operational. Um, however, I suppose this does come uh, this, this does come in the weapons not being a personal issue item. Um, they're not cared for by each individual officer and they become more part of the vehicle kit which is then it, i imagine passed from shift to shift so obviously you're not going to have that, that continuation between between the various shifts um, and things will start to break and not get reported properly etc etc um, in the response to the Christchurch shootings police managed to locate ram and detain the gunman at gunpoint within 21 minutes and I'd be inclined to agree with the superintendent that that response is quite impressive, given that the information must have been delivered in a frantic and confusing fashion, as I mentioned earlier. What's more um, is in order to stop the suspect's vehicle, a constable used his own patrol vehicle to ram him off the road. Whilst the technique was unorthodox and definitely not in the fleeing vehicles guidance available on the New Zealand police website, which I did also read as well because it is literally called fleeing vehicles guidance and uh, piqued my interest. Um, it brought a would-be pursuit to a very def definitive close and resulted in the suspect's vehicle wedged up on the bonnet of the police vehicle. As I say, that picture got used in, in, in national media um, for days um, and was 
quite a quite a dramatic photo um and just shows the pace at which that officer must have rammed that vehicle in the distance for it to scoop the, the the car up and onto the bonnet um the gunman as well if you look at some of the sort of the maps done by some of the, the new outlets was actually arrested a few streets away from the rain location um, and so this can only lead us to believe that the officer assisted by colleagues then pursued pursued the suspect on foot despite the clear propensity demonstrated by the suspect to kill before getting him stopped and taking him in alive, which then means that he can obviously face the full weight of the law. I put that point in there because clearly this vehicle had been stopped. They've rammed him. The guys decamp from his vehicle and run off. These guys just killed 50 people. Um, and these officers still chase after him. We have no idea whether these, these officers had time to get guns out, whether they were responding to the location, what information they had, what, but they managed to get him stopped a few streets away following i assume a foot pursuit um and like i say rather than him coming in sort of battered and bruised or or, or dead he came in alive and in quite good nick all things considered um and he is now obviously going through the legal system um and then from the medical side, St. John's Ambulance, who provide 90% of ambulance services in New Zealand, sent some 20 ambulances and support vehicles to the two attack sites. And one paramedic was described as, uh, or sorry, was quoted as describing rivers of blood coming from the mosque. Um, and they were literally apparently stepping over bodies to get to wounded um, and were having to differentiate between which ones were wounded and which ones were on their way out and which ones were worth saving effectively. have a look at the penalty that um, the government is likely to receive like I say this is a ongoing court case it's something that hasn't yet come to a close um, but interestingly initially the suspect was charged with only one count of murder and I can't find any particular reasoning as to why this occurred um, however I can make an educated guess and uh, the assumption would be that a murder um, it's such a serious charge that investigators full well um, full well knew that it was enough to get the suspect remanded in custody. Um, for those that aren't familiar with law enforcement terms, somebody being remanded in custody is between the date of charge and when you go into court. Um, generally, under most legal setups, and it's a case in the UK, it's a case in New Zealand, and it's generally the case in America, um, you will be bailed out um, and you have sometimes conditions in regards to your bail. Um, if you are deemed too dangerous or whatever else, then you will be remanded in custody, which means you are basically sent to a a remand prison or a remand um, facility until your court date. So you're held in a secure unit until your court date. Clearly, the investigators knew in this case that if it's only murders, they're going to get remanded, which I think is probably why he was only charged with the one rather than go for the charges on the other jobs um, where they may not have had all the evidence together in at that point so rather than risk losing charges they just went with the one they knew they had the evidence for to get him remanded buys them some more time to get their evidence together um, as I say they wanted to get him remanded and this did in indeed occur at the court on the 16th of March when he attended that's the gunman he smiled at reporters flashed white powder uh, white powder white power hand signs his case was then transferred to the High Court and he was remanded into custody. Um, 
The government's legal representative did not lodge any grounds for appeal, and I think any grounds for appeal would probably be fairly weak anyway. Um, since being remanded, the government, incredibly, has actually lodged a formal complaint into his treatment in prison, citing that he is not allowed access to newspapers, television, internet, visitors or phone calls, which probably means, it's safe to say, that he won't be hearing this podcast anytime soon. On the 4th of April, investigators then confirmed that they had increased the total charges laid to the gunman um, to 89, 50 for murder, 39 for attempted murder. They also stated they were still working on other charges which were under further consideration. Um, a further hit hearing was scheduled for the 5th of April, which saw the gunman actually ordered to undertake a psychological evaluation to assess his fitness for trial, and the next court appearance was scheduled for the 14th of June. Um, I don't think we've got the results from that psychological psychological um, evaluation yet because I don't think it's occurred. Um, but that will certainly be interesting as well um, because it opens up another in argument um, which often occurs in sort of law and justice circles in regards to fitness to stand trial and basically whether you're mentally ill and where does that line come. Um, you could argue in this circumstance that he's he's clearly mentally ill because you don't go and kill 50 people out of you know with a stable mind but does that but does he have full capability over his actions you know does he know what's going on um, or is he does he have no idea is that the, is that the reason and you've got to find that line and it's not for me to to decide it's not for the general public to decide it's for courts and judges to decide and even then it's very difficult and it generally gets argued out um, but that could be very interesting to to find out um, his next court appearance has been scheduled like I say for the 14th of June um, and as it stands under New Zealand law and the sentencing guidelines um, if he was convicted for multiple counts of murder or a terrorist act he faces life imprisonment with the possibility of parole after 17 years. As I say, that is just the sentencing guidelines as put out. But there is also a possibility that the sentencing judge can take into account aggravating factors and increase the no parole period or indeed impose a whole life term. As with any attack or event of this magnitude, there has been a wider response, and that will be what this next segment is going to look at. It did send shockwaves quite clearly through New Zealand, a country whose own police force actually has the motto and the, the aim of to be the safest country. All cities in the city were placed in lockdown within an hour of the attack. And uh, interestingly enough, a Trest cricket match uh, between New Zealand and Bangladesh, which was scheduled to be played on the 16th of March, the following day, was actually cancelled. What's more is that the Bangladeshi team were due to attend um, their own Friday prayers at the Al Noor Mosque, which was the site of the first attack, and they were minutes away from entering the facility um, when the shooting started to occur. Um, many other events, concerts, and sports fixtures were scheduled in the following weeks, but um, were cancelled due to security concerns or, in actually many cases, um, out of respect. The music and culture festival, uh, WOMAD, um, still went ahead but um, was heavily bolstered with um, further police presence, um, many of them being armed, patrolling the site and guarding key locations. 
Um, in a really strange twist of fate as well, um, street gangs, which exist in New Zealand, such as the Mongrel Mob, um, the Black Power Gang and the King Cobras actually sent their own gang enforcers to mosques at scheduled prayer times to ensure their protection from copycat attacks. Um, you might well have seen some footage arise on the internet of a group doing the hacker outside a mosque in recent weeks. Um, people shared this as, you know, look at this, it's New Zealand, uh, New Zealand culture, etc., etc. Um, it actually turns out that video is, is um, members of the Black, Black Power Gang, um, with their main rival being the Mongrel Mob, who are billed with being involved with uh, methamphetamine production and distribution, but also spearheading a community outreach program in conjunction with the Salvation Army to assist and reform methamphetamine users, which apparently has completed multiple intakes of users wanting to rid themselves of the drug since its inception. That's obviously in itself a very strange um, setup, and um, in fairness, actually, those those characters mentioned there, the Mongol Mob, Black Power and King Cobras, um, I plan to have an episode on New Zealand gang culture at some point. Um, however, the strange sort of setup there um, doesn't subtract, obviously, from the fact they are street gangs, but also the fact that, obviously, they felt moved enough to send their enforcers to these locations in order to protect um, other members of their community. Further to that, world leaders um, and other nations um, condemned the attacks, um, and some other police and security agencies are launching their own investigations into how the gunman may have may have had links into their own countries or what whether he may have visited and what the purposes for those visits are um the british mi5 has stated that they had begun an investigation into whether the suspect had ties with the british far right um that links back to what i mentioned earlier on in regards to the identitarian movement um there has been recently established a um a british branch of that and they're investigating effectively whether he has any links to that um there was also a host of other arrests made worldwide, um, some of them quite interesting, some of them quite dull, um, which relates to the attacks to, to varying degrees. None of them so far seem to suggest that he was part of any sort of cell or wider group, um, but they do include a number of people who possibly should have kept their views to themselves. Um, the arrests include an 18-year-old man from New Zealand who shared the video um, and was posting other messages to incite extreme violence. Uh, he was charged with by New Zealand police with inciting racial disharmony under the Human Rights Act and faces 14 years in prison if, if convicted. Um, I don't know of any sort of like offences to, to that sort of elsewhere in the world and that's probably quite unique to New Zealand because of the challenges they face in 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 Maori population, Polynesian populations. Um, another 30-year-old man was also arrested by police, um, perhaps in the aftermath of events. I couldn't find a date exactly on when this occurred, um, which would probably understandably lead to some misplaced worry because he decided to turn up to a school wearing head-to-toe camouflage clothing uh, in order to oddly pick up his 13-year-old brother-in-law um, and he stated that he habitually wears camouflage, which apparently wasn't grounds in itself for arrest, um, and that he was also warned for police by for disorderly conduct. Um, this story has actually come about because he, these, the, these, the victim or the suspect of the arrest or whatever, um, has actually gone to the media in regards to a wrongful arrest, um, and the fact that he's been 
warned by police for disorderly conduct, which I can't see an officer doing just because he rolls up to a school in, in camouflage, um, probably tells me there's something more to the story. Uh, we probably aren't getting the full story. Um, but he, he was actually arrested for that, and that obviously just shows the the added security and the mindset of people within New Zealand following the attacks. Outside of New Zealand, um, one New Zealand living abroad, uh, New Zealander rather, living abroad and working in the United Arab Emirates, was actually deported and fired from his job at a transport company based out there after posting messages of support for the uh, shootings, um, you know, in the United Arab Emirates where monitoring of your internet and internet usage is, is legal. Um, and a 24-year-old man from, um, from the United Kingdom was also arrested by British police for a similar act. that sort of takes us to the back end of this podcast and towards the close of it i hope that that has given you some pretty interesting insight into what was a horrific event and one that is likely to change the face of new zealand and in some cases the world for quite some time to come if you have enjoyed this podcast then please do subscribe if the platform that you are listening to allows it um if not you can download the anchor app which is the platform i published this to in the first place which then distributes it onto the other platforms for me you can find this podcast on there under the name Squibsy, my username, or under the name of the podcast, um, The Crime Shed. Um, you can also send me messages through that app, which will allow me to either listen to them or respond to them. Um, if you notice anything wrong, send me stuff through there. Um, I will look to issue corrections if needs be. Um, but also if you want to get involved or you have any ideas on things, then please do send me the feedback through there. For now, though, I will leave you with the words of the Imam of the Al-Nur Mosque, which he said in response to gracious outpouring of support from the world stage. We are broken hearted, but we are not broken. Goodbye. <laughs>